Appreciate you guys being here. Um, what I was going to start to say a second ago is that all year long we've been tracking through the book of Ephesians, and uh, not every single Sunday we've taken a few breaks here or there, but we have been tracking through Ephesians, which is a letter in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul that he writes to the church in the city of Ephesus. And uh, this series that we've been doing for the last few weeks is called The Mystery, and it's based out of Ephesians chapter 3. And so today we're going to conclude that series where we're going to look kind of at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and then next week I'm going to be talking a little bit in, in light of July 4th and in light of the coming elections. We're going to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and be a part, a citizen of a country. And what, it, what our responsibilities are and what we find hope in and what our roles are as it relates to uh, all those kind of things. So I encourage you to be back with us here next week for that. But today as we conclude the mystery series... We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about God's love. And we're going to talk about, out of this passage here, uh, beginning in verse 17, we're going to talk about how Paul describes the love of God as something that we should know. He actually prays this prayer that we would know the love of God. And then he describes the love of God as something that we can't know. He says, hey, I want you to know this love that is surpassing knowledge. It's beyond your ability to know it. Which seems like a little bit of a contrast, but I think love in general is that. And I ran across this in, in my studies. It says a group of four through eight-year-olds were asked, what does love mean? And this is what their answers were. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Okay, just leave it at that. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Um, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. That's a, that's a good one. That's a profound. I think my son may have said that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Love is when you're, uh, I'm sorry, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands get arthritis too. That's love. When you tell someone something bad about yourself and you're scared that they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, they love you even more. That's love. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and st still says he's handsomer than Denzel Washington. That's what Corey tells me all the time because me and Denzel, we're pretty much twins. Um, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone home all day. And that is not love. Um, not a dog person, not a cat person either. So love, love cards like Valentine's cards say stuff on them that we'd like to say ourselves, but we wouldn't be caught dead saying them. And that's what love is. But see, love is this crazy subject because we only in the English language really have one word to say what we think love actually means. My wonderful wife is sitting right here. I almost hit her with a peppermint a minute ago. She's sitting down here, and I love my wife. My wife, Corey, we have been best friends since we were 13 years old. I mean, she is my best friend. I love her. And I love Mexican food. And I love North Carolina Tar Heel basketball. And I love my kids. And I love, I mean, you see what I'm saying here? I don't love all those things the same, right? I love my wife, and that's different than I love Mexican food. Now, I love Mexican food, but I love my wife. But I'm stuck here because the English language only gives me like this one word 
to, to really express that to my wife. That's why we come up with like pet names for each other. Not us, other couples. We don't do that. But we come up for like pet names for each other. We come up for like little phrases that we heard in a movie or read in a book or accidentally said one time. And then it's like, you know, that's what we use then to say I love you or to try to say, hey, this is our special little phrase. And some of you just looked at your spouse if you're sitting next to them because you have that phrase. It's like snookums or, you know, what? I mean, I don't know what you call them or what you say to them. But that's your like pet phrase. I don't even know if Corey remembers this, but when we first started dating, before we were really like saying I love you a lot, because see, we had been friends since we were 13. And like, I remember when I was like 15, like I was leaving Corey's house and she was like, love you. And I was like, oh my God, are we getting married? Like, I don't know what that means at 15 years old, but she just said that all the time. And so then when we started actually dating, like we had already told each other, we loved each other, but I didn't know if I loved her like I was supposed to love a girlfriend future wife, but I loved her like my best friend. And so we asked, we would say this little phrase, and you're going to think it's so dumb and that's okay. I'm telling on myself. Do you remember? We would say, how about them braves? I'm so romantic like that, right? I'm a huge baseball fan and I don't even remember how we came up with it. No doubt she does. And she knows what she was wearing and what I was wearing when we came up with it. But like, I don't even know how it started, but there was just, whenever I wanted to tell her as this growing relationship was happening, that I didn't just love her like a best friend. I was like falling in love with her. I was in love with her. I mean, I'm thinking future here. I would, how about them braves? And she would grin and I would grin. I'd get all giddy. And I mean, it was like exciting, right? But I never, ever have sat in a Mexican restaurant and he's like, what do you want? I'd be like, how about them braves? (laughs) Never one time. Now I'll just be like, I'll take the fajitas. I mean, like, It's all I'm stuck with, love, the word love. It's all I've got to express all of these wide range of emotions. And so now in this broken human context of I love my wife and I love my kids and I love Mexican food and I love different sporting teams and I love all these things. Now I try to understand the love of God and I'm like, I don't know. I can't, I can't really understand it. Let's jump into the text here. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And I think that you'll kind of get the idea here of what Paul is trying to say. But if not, we're going we're gonna to unpack it for a few minutes. It says this beginning in verse 17, and we kind of pick up in the middle of a sentence here, which we, we dealt with a little bit last week. But it says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you... Being rooted and established in love. So he is praying a prayer now for the church and the people of Ephesus. That you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And verse 19, listen to this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There is so much like richness in this text. I mean, when you look at some of the words that are written here, it's amazing to see some of these things and how they interact with one another and what they mean and how they interchange with one another. I mean, it's incredible, incredible scripture. But the idea here in verse 19 is that we, he wants us to know something that's unknowable. And we really come to this tension point, and and you've experienced this in a lot of different ways, I'm sure. But I mean, I can tell you, not because I'm genius, but just because I am, um, that water is... Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, right? Is that somebody science? That's right. Give me a nod. Yeah, close. Nobody knows. Okay, I'm just going to tell you it is. So it's H2O, and I know that. 
But it doesn't matter how much that I know about that and how much I can tell you about that and whether this is a really good kind of water or this was just what was on sale when we bought it. I don't know, but I know when I'm really, 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 really hot and tired. And I, and I'm, I mean, I just, I am thirsting almost to death. I don't care anything about what I know about water. I care about what this water does for me. I care about what this water does in me and in my life and in my body. I care about how it makes me feel. I care. And so when you start talking about love, sometimes defining it is harder than really knowing when you've experienced it. Does that make sense? I mean, the idea being that I can't, I can't give you like a great definition of love that would just be like really easy and you could write it in the top of your Bible right there and you would just be, you would walk out and you go, man, I've never heard that definition that my life is so much better now that I know it. But if you have ever experienced love on just about any level, you know that you've experienced it. And so your definition, your understanding of love may be a little different than what I could even say up here today because your idea of love is something that you've experienced. You may not understand the H2O part of your love equation with someone else, but what you know is how that water tastes, how that love feels in your life. And so when Paul starts talking here about the idea that he wants us to know something that surpasses knowledge, I mean, how how do you even do that? Before we get to verse 19, let's jump back to 18. This is what it says, to grasp how wide. Remember, this is the prayer he has for us. He wants us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So I've just broken these things down a little bit. Wide and long and high and deep. And what these actually mean as it relates to like the original language just in our context here. So when you look at the word wide right there, you understand that Paul is talking about here all ages, all nations, all people. Nobody's exempt. So he wants us to understand that the width or the breadth, depending on which translation of the Bible you have, that the love of God, the width of that, spans all people groups. It spans all nations. It spans all the way around the world and connects to every person on the earth. There is no one exempt from that. And we've talked over the last few weeks at different stages about, you know, how God interacts with people and and what God loves and what God doesn't love and all those kind of things. But what we have to understand that this, this includes everybody, not just every believer, not just every person who is living in a way that you look at and go, yes, they are worthy of God's love or they're, you know, they're in a relationship with God. No, this, this is saying, listen, even the person that you look at, that you say they are so far away from God by the way that they're acting, which we're going to get to in a minute, they are still contained in the width and the breadth of God's love. No one is exempt from it. When you look at the idea of how long is God's love, we're talking here about time. It's, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. It's continuous. It is never ending. And so the idea being here that from the beginning to the end, God's love exists and covers that time period. There is no one who will ever live because of the width of his love who will not be uh, kind of connected to the love of God by time. Like they're, they're all connected to that. They're all a part of that because history from beginning to end, includes and is founded on the love of God. When you look at how high, this is really talking about really the, the heights of as high as you can go, the glory and riches of heaven, okay? The idea that you can't accomplish anything, be so successful that now it's on your own, it's of your own, you know, doing all your talent, all your ability, no matter how high you get, no matter how much you accomplish, really his love stretches all the way to heaven, It's really the glorious riches of God's heavenly mercies that he loves us from. And when we talk about how deep, we're talking about stooping to the lowest condition here. 
being redeemed or retrieved out of a lifestyle or a, or a, a sinful nature. So no matter what you've done, I talked about a minute ago, all people are part of the width of God's love, even those who are in sin and misery. I mean, they're a part of something that you look at them and you go, okay, and I said this a couple weeks ago. You look at them and you look at you and you say, okay, if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, one of us is wrong. One of us is not right because we can't both be Christian. And I'm not talking about just theological differences and what's the difference in that church and this church. I'm talking about things that the Bible calls sin. And so we look at this and we understand that the width and the length, the height, the depth of God's love really makes it impossible to get away from God's love. Psalm 139, written by, by David, talks about, you know, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go to get away from your spirit? I says, I can't go anywhere. To the heights, to the depths, I can't, I'm always with your spirit, your presence. And where that is, is God's love. And so we understand that it's, it's wider, it's longer, it's higher, it's deeper than you, than your situation, than your history, than your past, than your future, than your successes, than your failures. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, God's love extends to you. And some of you in this room, like you just yawn at that phrase. You're just, yeah, you've, you know it, you understand it. I'm not saying you do that like, you know, to be rude. You just, you know that. There, there's not something that you struggle with. But I believe that some people walked in here today and you believe that God loves you in the same conditional way that other people on this earth love you to say that I love you as long as you continue to meet the conditions that our love is based on. I loved you because you did this for me. You gave me this. You made me feel this way. And whenever you quit giving me that, quit doing that, quit making me feel this way, I quit loving you. Some of us, we look at God and we look at our Heavenly Father and we see, we're afraid that He loves us that same way. We're afraid that if we mess up, or we're afraid that if we've messed up, that God doesn't love us anymore. Or maybe we think, well, yeah, He has to love everybody, but God doesn't like me. God is not good, necessarily. He's not merciful, because you don't know what I've done, but he does, and I'm afraid that he operates the same way that the people who were in my life and walked out operate. And what this tells us here is that the love of Christ is for everybody for all time. There is nothing that you have done or will do that exempts you from the love of God. And that's a really, really important truth for us to understand today. The word that is used in verse 19. Verse 19, I'm going to ask them just to throw a portion of it up on the screen. And it says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's just a portion of verse 19. And it's kind of what we've been dancing around all day. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. The word here for know in both of the circumstances, to know and then the part of knowledge there is the same Greek word, and I'm going to just butcher it here, but it's something that starts with a G and looks like gnosko, all right? It's probably not, but that's what it looks like. That's the same word. To gnosko, the love of God, which surpasses gnosko knowledge, right? Some of you are laughing at me. That's okay. When you look at me, you probably don't see Greek scholar, all right? But it's the exact same word, which is interesting to me because I kind of thought when I first read this, okay, Paul is saying that we're to know some word, we're, we're some word that defines that idea, to know something that surpasses this other idea of knowing. So maybe we're to experience something that we can't comprehend. That's not what it's saying. I mean, there is a portion of this because gnosko really means 
There's a, there's a part of that that flavors this idea that we can know through experiencing it. Like I was talking about earlier, where you can kind of know what love is based on what you've experienced in love. But it's not two separate ideas. It's the same. Paul wants you to know something that you can't know. To know something that surpasses your ability to understand it. And so when you leave here in a minute, you think in a minute, I'm going to give you a formula. I think I told our volunteers earlier, I'm going to give you like 17 points to know the love of God. No. Here's the truth. Paul wants you to know, and I want you to know today, this love that you're going to have to spend a lifetime trying to figure out. I want you to leave here today pursuing a greater knowledge of the love of God. Why is that important? Because I believe that it's so vital for you to understand the love of God. Because I I personally believe with all of my heart, because it's true in my life and I've seen it in a lot of other people's lives, I believe with all of my heart that if you don't understand that God loves you, I mean truly loves you, wide and long and deep and high, he loves you, it is extremely difficult and I would say almost impossible for you to truly love him. Because you're now coming to him with this warped idea of how you're being received by him. So your love for him is trying to like push the right buttons with God to receive his love in return. It's the idea of the five love languages that maybe some of you have heard that. Um, The idea that, you know, every person kind of has a love language. You might have a couple that are similar, but, you know, it's gifts and time, a quality of time, quantity of time. There's several. And so what we see most of the time is that if your love language, like what just really makes you feel loved, is like quality time. It doesn't have to be hours and hours on end, but if you had like 15 minutes of just uninterrupted time together with someone that you love, I mean, you just, you feel loved. You know your love. Some of it is gifts. And don't we all love those people in our lives, right? But I mean, they just, they experience love and they, they give love by giving something. And what we find is that whatever your love language is that really helps you to receive love, you tend to utilize that to express love to others. Because if, you're, if your love language, like you really feel loved by quality time, what you tend to do is want to spend quality time with those that you love. If your love language is gifts and like, yeah, you want to spend time with them, but you really feel loved if someone thought of you enough to get you something, like a card, like If I get my wife a card, she knows I either did something that she doesn't know about yet but is going to find out about, or something crazy happens. She's like, oh, this is so sweet. What did you do? What are you about to tell me? But if I do that, she knows, man, I love her. I was just thinking about you, right? And and, and if if that's the way that I love, then I feel most loved when I receive something from her, when she does something for me. And that's not my love language, but that's the example that we're using. And if we have that same idea with God, and if we don't approach him just knowing that he just loves us, and he just, he loves us long and high and deep, and why he loves us that much and all the way there, then we come to him thinking, okay, I love you, and I receive your love because I feel your forgiveness? Then I'm trying to find a way to, like, approach God in that way. Or if we say, okay, if it's, you know, like I feel most loved in my life with quality time, then I'm spending quality time with God, but maybe not a lot of it. 
Or if it is gifts, maybe I give in the offering or I give to the poor. Or I do Because I think that makes God love me more. And I think that's what I should base my love for him on. And what God is saying here, what Paul is saying through this passage of scriptures, listen. It's high and deep and wide and long. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for it. Like you can't do anything to make him love you more or less. And so you just have to spend a lifetime just leaning into, pressing into, pursuing the love of God. And what I would say is this, and I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I would say this, that whenever you feel like you've figured out the love of God, this passage reminds us that you can't understand it all. So there's something yet to be learned. I mean, whenever you just get really, really, really comfortable in the love of God, I would say to you, now what else do you need to know? Who do you need to be serving? Who do you need to be loving so that God can show you more of his love through your act towards them? What is it that you need to give to God? What is it you need to do for someone else? What is it that you need to check in your heart? What do you need to be studying, reading, praying, singing, worshiping? What do you need to do to experience more of God's love, to understand more of God's love? Because if you feel like you've got it figured out, guess what Paul's saying? You can't figure it out. Keep pushing, keep trying, keep digging to know in greater measure all that God's love means to you. When I think about my life, I think about ways that I can know the love of God, like where I experience the love of God, where I see it, where I sense it, where I read it, where I hear it. I love to worship. I love to sing along with this band. I love in my car I, I plug the head, I got a sweet 97 Volvo 960 with a tape deck. So I've got a cool iPod adapter, all right? Plugs into my iPhone. I just listen to the music that's on there. I mean, I just, I sing, not all the time. I'm not saying like 24 hours a day, but I love it. There are moments when that really helps me experience the love of God. I love to read God's word. And there are passages of God's word that really help me to understand and experience the love of God. But do you want to know really some very practical things that help me know the love of God, experience the love of God? It it really is. I'm not trying to be cheesy. It really is my interaction with my wife. She loves me. I love her. I believe if you're trying to grasp like the love of God, we're going to deal with this in, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks when we get later in the book of Ephesians. But the idea that Christ gives us this example that the, the covenant between a man and wife is really indicative of what the loving relationship of Christ and the church, us, is supposed to look like. So in that, I can experience love in a pure form, in a purer form. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I can experience that in ways that I go, oh, if this is the earthly side of this, man, how much more can the Heavenly Father love me? I was rocking my daughter, Kinley, to sleep the other night. She is just in a mood right now. She just cries, like, all day, every day. And I can't do anything for her. She just wants mom all the time. So I was trying to give Corey a break, and I was just in the room there in her nursery, and I was just rocking her. And she just found, like, the perfect spot, like, right here, kind of, like, down in the cleft of my arm, and fell asleep. And it was, like, heaven on earth with the quiet, Right? And and I'm just rocking and singing. And I'm not kidding. I I know some of you are going to be like, man, you're such a dork. That's okay. I know I am. In that moment, because I knew I'm talking about this today, 
I thought, man, I love her. Like, I don't think I could love her anymore. I mean, trying to think or imagine of loving her more than I do right now in this moment, even though she's been crying and she wants mom and I can't do anything to please her most of the time, and I know that only gets worse, I think, but like, I just, I just was thinking, man, I love her. I think about my boys, three boys, seven, five, three years old. They're wild and crazy, and they make messes. Branson walks into a room, and a Coke spills across the way. I mean, I don't even know how he does it. <laughs> but they're awesome, and I love my kids. And when I think about loving them more than I do now, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine it. And to understand that the love that I have for them, the love that I experience towards them, that there's some greater love that exists that God extends towards me, blows my mind. I went to South Africa back in the fall. Really cool trip. Got to preach over there and just do some amazing things. I went with my dad. And uh, we, we went one day up this really cool mountain and we walked to this place that's called God's Window and we just kind of stood there on this rock overlooking this incredible valley. And you saw like off in the distance, I mean, I'm, I don't know how high I am, but I mean, I'm just, I, they look like these little rivers, wide, wide rivers, look like just little cracks in the concrete. I mean, it's just, I'm, my, my perspective, my vantage point was just huge. Was, and I'm looking down there and I'm thinking, God created all of this. He created Adam and Eve and he put them in this place of perfection in the Garden of Eden. And he just says, hey, go and enjoy Go forth and multiply. Sin obviously corrupts that story, but the idea that God created the earth, created the world, I can, I can find love and pleasure in what God has created for us. Sin, I, again, it's corrupting it. It's the, the world is falling apart because of what sin is doing to the, to the world. God's going to redeem that. That's a part of his plan. But I can find the love and experience the love of God as I just stand there in awe that the world doesn't revolve around me. But God's got this entire thing in the palm of his hand. And he loves me and you. One of the greatest examples in my entire life of where I got to see and experience love is the marriage of my mom and dad. My mom passed away last March. She, um, she battled cancer for 22 months. And today would be my mom and dad's anniversary. June 24th. My parents didn't get it all right. But I can't look back and think of where they messed it up. I can't think of where they blew it one time. I'm not trying to, like, that's a huge shoes for me to fill and for me and Corey. And that, I'm not claiming that they were perfect. They did make mistakes. But I mean, I just, I look back at their life and I see how they loved one another. I see how they loved us, me and my brother. I see how they welcomed Corey and my sister-in-law, Andrea, into the family. I see how they loved the grandchildren. It's, It's the most incredible portrayal of love, I think, that I've seen in my life. In April of 09... My mom was having some stomach pain, and they took her to the hospital and removed her appendix, just in case it was it. It wasn't. 
still having the pain. So they go in, they're going to remove her gallbladder. I think it was just process of elimination. And right before they went in to do the procedure, they did one more test and they found this one little spot and it was just one little tumor and they're just going to go in and remove that one little tumor. So we have all weekend to think about it and pray about it and kind of get our hearts set. And we get there on that Monday morning for surgery and it's supposed to take like five or six hours. And about 40 minutes in, the surgeon comes out. It's not usually a good sign. And said, hey, it's way worse than we thought. Stage four, you know, you couldn't really pin them down on a lot of dates, but it was bad, and we knew that. And for the next 22 months, my dad almost put his entire life on hold. He served my mom so faithfully. He just, he gave everything he had to her and to this process to get her better, to do everything that he could. She passed away. March the 2nd, 2011. And when I look at that, I got to speak at my mom's funeral. And I said to my dad from the stage, I said, Dad, no regrets. You did everything you knew to do. And you honored that covenant that you made in front of family and friends and before God that said, for better or worse, in richer or poor, in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. You live that out. In a culture that says it's all about you, whenever it's inconvenient, you get out, you're free to do so. Man, he just served her. And when I think about that kind of love and understand that God's love is even greater than that and is so much greater than that that I can't even comprehend it, I can't even experience it, I can't even see it, It tells me that I need to spend a lifetime pursuing that. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate us. Several years ago, my mom gave me this book. It's by Calvin Miller. It's called Jesus Loves Me. And if you're really struggling with this idea of understanding the love of God, I encourage you to get this book. Very simple. It's based on the little chorus that we probably learned as children. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. He is strong. This is what it says. Verse, uh, page 13. Jesus loves me is unprovable but never open to much debate. Between the Genesis downbeat and the final chord of Revelation is a vast unfolding song of love. God loves Adam and gives him a garden as a studio where he paints his love in bold and natural strokes. God loves Abraham and his love teaches us that barrenness and old age cannot thwart the gift of a child or the birth of nations. God loves Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. And if this matter-of-fact tale of his love is not enough, he tells us plainly that he loved the world so much he gave us the gift of his son. God's great love is the grand essential of all worthy living. 
What I would say to you today is that if you are not even looking for the love of God, you can't miss it. If you're looking for it and you're struggling to find it and struggling to figure it out and articulate it, it's everywhere. That's the band to come on. I mean, there, there's almost no way for you to miss the love of God unless you are attempting to ignore it and avoid it. The love of God exists in all creation, and there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Anything that tells you, anyone that tells you that God doesn't love you or God can't love you or that you've done too much or you've made too many mistakes or you're not this or you're not that and so God can't love you, those are lies from the enemy because God's word tells us. And you can know that Jesus loves you, this you know, because the Bible does tell you so. Referenced in that passage I just read, John three sixteen. It is the primary mode, primary way in history that we can know the love of God. Looking to his son, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to take part in communion. I'm going to ask the host to come and prepare to disperse these, these communion elements. Let me just tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pass these plates and there's a, a little tray with these little cracker wafer pieces there. There's another plate that has these little cups of, of juice. And in a moment, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about what this means very briefly. And then we're going to take part in this. So I'm going to ask you as they come along here, just to take these elements, one, one of the wafers, one of the cups, and just hold it in your hand. As you do that, I want you to think about this. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, no matter the family that you come from, the great examples of love in your parents' marriage or your grandparents, no matter your terrible examples in those relationships, no matter the fact that you're married or you're single or you're divorced or you've made mistakes or they made mistakes, no matter what's happened in your hands is visible proof that God loves you. You hold in your hands representation of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that God sent to earth because he loved you. That's what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that no one should perish if they believe in him. So you're going to hold that in your hands today. This assurance that God loves you. While they're passing these elements, they're going to sing an incredible song. And I encourage you, maybe just in that moment, just you and God here, you're holding the elements, the the life and blood of Jesus Christ, just to reflect on him, reflect on the sacrifice, reflect on your life, reflect on places that maybe you felt unloved or unlovable. And if you ever get stuck in that, you just look down and know that God loves you because he gave us Jesus. before we take communion together every head would bow every eye closed this is your moment just to confess to God whatever it is that you think may be kind of a barrier between you and him just sharing in this moment anything that would just block you from having this really intimate worshipful moment with your creator if there's unconfessed sin if there's things that you need to confess, do that now, but maybe it's just that you, you do feel unloved by God because of your hurt and your pain in this world, and maybe in this moment you just say to him, God, would you just help me to know that you love me? Would you just help me to see and find your love? 
Maybe it's that you need to say, hey, I claim on your name here. I claim to be a follower of you. And would you help me to be more loving? We're going to take part in communion here and really share in this moment. But before we do, God, would you just help me to love as you love to the best of my ability? Communion is a very sacred moment that we participate in, and it's something that Jesus Christ himself did with his closest followers. Just before he went to the cross, they gathered together for a meal. At the conclusion of that meal, they kind of gathered in and they shared what we're about to do. He said he took the bread and he broke it said, this is my body which is broken for you, obviously alluding to the cross, which they could not understand. We understand. So this is my body which is broken for you. Let's take the bread together today. It says that then, in like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is spilled out for you. It's the blood that forgives our sins, covers all of our mistakes. It's the blood that was spilled out or healed by the stripes that were born on his back. Let's take the cup together today in remembrance of that. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to remember you. To remember your son Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. For most of us, it's not the first time we've heard about that sacrifice. But God, today I pray that in light of your love, it takes on a new meaning, a deeper appreciation in our hearts. And God, when we leave this place, I pray that we would know that you love us. Not so it breeds arrogance or pride or some sense that we can do anything and never get out of your love. But God, so that it would breed humility. That it would breed an understanding that you love us and you extend to us grace and mercy. We've been talking about this all day. So that we would be able to administer that to those around us. And in some way they would see your love through us. We thank you God that you do love us. Help us now to live in that as we leave this place in a few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.